It's New Comics Day, Wednesday, December 8th, 2015, and you're listening to God and Comics, the show where we believe that whether you read DC and Marvel or Image and Boom, everyone is ultimately creator-owned. Think about it. <laughs> On today's show, Web Comics. In the digital era we live in, many writers and artists are taking their talents right to the internet, bypassing the traditional publishers altogether. We'll discuss the good and bad of this phenomenon, how it affects the wider comic market, and we'll even mention a few web series you might want to check out. Plus, as always, we'll have our recommendation, this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm Father Jonathan Michikin. I am Rector of Church of the Holy Comforter in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. On the line with me today is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm at Church of the Messiah in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And also on the line today is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm at Christ Church in Cooperstown, New York. Very good. Good to see you, gentlemen. Well, let's dig right into our recommendation this week, and uh, I'm up this time around. It was a hard choice. There were some really wonderful uh, books that I've been reading lately, but I decided to go with a new comic. just came out, I think, a couple weeks ago now, week before last, something like that, and that is Superman American Alien Number 1, written by Max Landis and illustrated by Nick Dragata with colors by Alex Guimaraes. I think that's how you say that. And this is a limited run of seven comics. So this is the first one is out now, and they'll be coming out over the next uh, six months, the other issues. And the idea behind this is the brainchild of Max Landis. If you don't know Landis, he's an interesting guy. He's a, um, he's a screenwriter and a director. He did a film a few years ago called Chronicle that had a little bit of success. He also did this really <laughs> irreverent, uh, kind of funny film about the whole phenomenon of the death of Superman in the 90s. Uh, he did this sort of like parody kind of mock uh, documentary about it uh, called Death and Return of Superman, and it is on YouTube. You can you can find it easily on YouTube. It's <laughs> it's um, it's interesting. Uh, it's got a lot of f bombs, just to warn you all out there. But uh, DC and they make he makes fun of DC a lot for for what they did with that. Uh, but to their credit, DC decided to hire him to do some writing uh, because he really does love Superman. And so the idea in this book is that it's stories about Clark Kent, and it's seven snapshots. So it's not one single narrative. Actually, each issue has its own short narrative in it, but it's seven snapshots of Clark's development, seven snapshots of his life. They're going to have different artists each time. And the idea is it shows a lot of the different pieces of this character in a way that we've never seen them before. And so uh, some of the issues we're told are going to be bloody and violent. Some are going to be sexy. Some are going to be sweet. But this first issue is about Clark as a child. And I'm not sure exactly how old he's supposed to be here. Maybe 12 Something like that. I mean, he's old enough to sort of be aware of girls, but, you know, not old enough to 
uh, drive or anything like that. So, and a lot of this issue is about him learning to fly and how incredibly terrifying <laughs> he experiences. Like the first several times, he's not controlling it at all. He just suddenly finds himself floating up into the sky, not knowing how to get down. A lot of this issue is actually also about Jonathan and Martha Kent, and we're used to seeing them as kind of older figures, but they're much younger here, and we see a bit of their past. There's this great two-page spread at the back of the issue where it shows a bunch of old photos of them, documents from their marriage, things from the hospital about uh, their inability to have children and how that's affecting them, like all this kind of stuff, which was really, really neat. And just watching them trying to learn how to parent this kid who has problems that are very different from the kind of problems that most uh, kids deal with and most parents have to deal with. And there's some just great parts in this. I think a lot of the story is going to be about him learning what it means to be an alien in his own skin. And so there's there's a great scene in the midst of this where they're at a of outdoor movie. It's like, you know, summertime putting a movie up on a on a big screen with a bunch of other kids and it's like an old alien movie. And he's sitting there kind of eating some popcorn with Lana Lang, you know, sort of crushing on her. But the alien is like, you know, gross and weird and and he's like, is that what you think aliens would be like? You know, like he's asking these kind of questions and there's a part later where he's looking in the mirror and the image that looks back at him which is probably just in his head but the image that looks back at him looks very much like et so you know it has that kind of a flavor to it and so you know i'm really excited and and interested to see where the series goes but i would say even if you don't want to do the whole series the great thing about this is because they're self-contained you know 399 you get a complete story and it's 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 a Clark Kent story it's not so much a superman story but if you love superman and you love that world and you love the idea of what new can we do in that same story this this would be a great one to plunk your hard-earned money down for so superman american alien number 1 well it sounds really interesting and 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 a fascinating addition to the superman mythos uh, are are the i mean are these stories like canonical they're not currently connecting in any way yeah. with any other superman stuff so i don't know whether they'll they'll actually decide this is part of superman's real history or not i think right now dc honestly is not that worried about that you know yeah 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 well you know what i think that's a positive thing really Mm -hmm. i agree because you know they're just going to reboot the whole universe in five years anyway so right right (laughs) why not just tell good stories and i and i think that's sort of the right current rationale maybe it's not so important to have this coherent uh, universe or whatever Right. Well, friends, that will take us into our main discussion for today, which we'll be talking about webcomics today. And joining us for this discussion is uh, our very special guest, Leah Labresco. Leah was a a well-known atheist blogger who shocked everyone in 2012 when she announced that she was becoming a Catholic. Since then, she has gone on to become a sought-after speaker She is a news writer for 538.com. 
She uh, has been a radio host. She continues to blog at Pathos under the title Unequally Yoked. And her new book is called Arriving at Amen, Seven Catholic Prayers That Even I Can Offer. Leah, welcome to God and Comics. Thanks for including me, you guys. Yeah, this is the height right here. You know, everything else you've done prior to this, it leads up to this moment, talking with us about comics. Your conversion story has kind of been repeated in, in a number of different places. And I, I'll tell you that pieces of it resonate with me in my own kind of conversion story, particularly um, you've talked about having engaged with really smart people who were wrong. Uh, who you thought were wrong, and how that kind of changed things for you. And that, that definitely is a part of my story, too. But I'm just wondering, is it is it weird to be known for your conversion? It's a little weird, but I try and be weird enough to live up to it for the most <laughs> part. I will say one thing that kind of helped me in the process of conversion and exploring Christianity was kind of my reading of genre fiction, sci-fi, fantasy, and comics just because a lot of portal stories, etc., give you the habit of thinking through an alien world, which is what religion was to me. So kind of the mm -hmm. practice of working my way through a world with unexpected rules, a world that I could treat as fictional for a little while, but still just figure out how you would live within it, was part of how I was able to ask questions about Christianity and get interested in the answers. Hmm. Did you read, like, were you reading things that, like Lewis and Tolkien and stuff like that? Or was it more like hard genre science fiction? A whole range. I have read Lewis and Tolkien, but I'm a big fan of modern uh, fantasy writers like Max Gladstone, who does kind of weird stuff with religion in his worlds too. Um, he actually kind of models religion on the financial systems collapse in that both involve strange arcane forces and a priesthood of people who intervene for you with them. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> okay. What's your experience with comics? Did you, did you read comics growing up or? Most of the comics I read growing up were the cartoons in the New Yorker. And actually at my parents' house, the refrigerator is just covered with cartoons from the New Yorker, from other sources. Um, I read kind of the most normal, uh, normal is maybe putting it strongly but uh formatted normally cartoons i was most familiar with is that i read through calvin and hobbs and doonesbury we had kind of complete collections of both growing up and i read through both even though quite arguably calvin and hobbs is a little more appropriate for an elementary schooler than reading through all of doonesbury's cartoons about the iran contra hearings <laughs> <laughs> i remember being about five years old and telling somebody I met in a shopping mall my thoughts on on Walter Mondale um, <laughs> and his, his run for president the year before. So, um, you know, some of us are just cut from different cloth. What can I say? <laughs> mm -hmm. At some point, did you take an interest in... I, I'm just thinking of... Uh, I, I did see that picture of you in that sweet Black Widow Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. coat that you have. So uh, you must have some uh, enjoyment of the the uh, superhero uh, genre. Oh, yeah. Though, you know, partially because of my age, I came to superheroes partly through all the worlds of derivative works and riffs on those stories rather than through Golden Age or Silver Age comics. So 
really the first superhero story I was really invested in was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, and then I've kind of come around to lots of uh, classic stories from Marvel through the Marvel Cinematic Universe oh. rather mm -hmm. than starting in the comics. Yeah. Have you read other, have you read any of the comics that Joss Whedon has written? I've read a little bit of Buffy season eight, but I mm -hmm. hated Buffy season eight. <laughs> so I prefer not to acknowledge it. Okay. Fair enough. He has, he has a couple of other, he's done some work on X-Men, which has been really interesting. And he has a book called Frey, which is in the Buffy universe, but set. Oh yes. In the that future. one I read. Yeah. What'd you think of that one? I still preferred a lot of the pace of the show. It, mm -hmm. it felt like it, the story slowed down a bit when they were being told in graphic form there, yeah. which I know isn't a problem of the form. I've read other stories that were kind of blazingly fast, but it lost almost, you know, that kind of Whedon-ish beat, beat, beat right. quality to it. You just have to flip the pages faster. That's all. <laughs> You have been teaching us a little bit about web comics, and we've been trying to look at a couple of the ones that you suggested. And I'm just curious because this is this is very new for us. I mean, all all three of us are are definitely comic book guys. We grew up reading comics and can really get into the nerdy weeds on on all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but web comics is a new kind of phenomenon for us. I, I'm curious what it is that you that's attracted you to web comics and what is it that you love about them? Well, I'd say some of the stuff is the same thing that attracts people to comics generally or novels or movies. It's great storytelling and great characters. Um, but what's particularly great about web comics is the instant accessibility of them mm. that I can immediately share a story I love or an artist I love with a friend across the country. I don't have to lend physical books or help them track something down or convince them to spend uh, money on the first issue when I'm saying, and it gets really good, you know, in issue 10. Right. <laughs> um, which has been a problem for me sometimes when I'm exploring comic book comic books. I want to check out Ms. Marvel, but it's actually fairly expensive to yeah. grab the collections, uh -huh. and they're very short. I'm paying more than I pay for just a normal paperback whole novel for what feels like a very small segment of the storytelling. Mm. And it's hard to pitch other people that way. So webcomics let me immediately share a story with a lot of people with a very low barrier to entry. What I see from webcomics is oftentimes people sharing webcomics on social media. What's fascinating to me, it's people who maybe would never be into reading comic books, but they stumble across these webcomics. It's more, it's more accessible. It can take a lot to persuade someone to walk into one of those creepy establishments called the comic book store uh -huh. with, with a bunch of, you know, um, slightly hostile guys in the back playing role-playing games. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, have you checked out uh, things like uh, Marvel Unlimited, where where you could read uh, the the comic books published on uh, online? It's made it easier for me to get back into comic books as an adult. It's like I mean, a, it's it's a subscription, so you don't have to buy yeah. each issue. You can just mm -hmm. you know read them as they come. I haven't tried that. I've mostly gone to my local library. Yeah. Yeah. I do that too. Yeah, if you, if you have a library that carries comics, that's always 
plot. Right after watching the Daredevil series is when I started checking out the Brian Bendis, you know, run of Daredevil comics. So. Oh, nice. so good. I, yeah. So good. I'm, I'm rereading those now, and I'm <laughs> just remembering how life-changing they were. <laughs> Check out the Mark Wade ones, because the Mark R- Wade Daredevil run, I'm reading that now. That's fantastic. That's really good. Yeah. Also very good. Um, Fa- Father Matt, since you sort of uh, started us out, I'm, I'm wondering what what experience have you had with web comics? Are there any that you you were saying earlier uh, today that you the ones that you've looked at have tended to be kind of short, more like strips than like the sort of ongoing stories? So what what have you what have you seen? What have you liked? The one that I see a lot because I have a lot of obviously friends that are seminarians and clergy people have been like the Christian uh, web comics. Coffee with Jesus is one that 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 pops up again and again on my uh, Facebook feed. And what what's the one? It's called Adam Adam Four. Oh, Adam Four D. Yeah. Adam Four D. That mm-hmm. that um and 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 a, and a lot of other web comics that I. I yeah, the artwork and the characters are familiar because I see them. But I, I guess that would be my question. I'm not really sure where to begin to like to access the web web comics. How, how how do you get into them? Where do you go to find them? Well, a lot of times it'll come up in conversation with friends that if I'm talking about one comic I read, someone will go, "Oh, you know, you read Order of the Stick, but do you also read whichever?" And then we kind of snowball off of each other's recommendations a lot of the time so, my so friends, it's sort of like word of mouth yep oh and word of social media again yeah. so one of my favorites is gunner creek court by tom Sidell, mm-hmm. uh, which is gorgeous art and the kind of art that really enhances the way he tells the story of the characters so that when something particularly traumatic happens to one of the main characters all of the art becomes more childlike um, so features mm. fade become sketchier Characters who are more powerful sometimes like move past cell walls, the actual panel walls in exciting ways, or form them with their own body. They're dominating the entire shape of what's going on to other characters. And it's because kind of whenever something very startling happens in the plot of that uh, story, which is really like, you know, a long running story with issues, not a, you know, gag a day webcomic. My friends and I just all discuss it on social media. So sometimes friends do go, what is that Gunner Creek Court thing you and like those eight other people are constantly making screaming noises about? <laughs> hmm. One of the uh, webcomic creators that I've, I've had some experience with is Emily Carroll. Are you familiar with her work at all? The, the collection I'm thinking of is called Through the Woods. I own that. I love that. Oh, it's gorgeous. It was just phenomenal. The artwork is just spectacular and... I, you know, I don't usually comment on this, but the lettering, the lettering is gorgeous in that book. There's few comics that you could kind of say that about where it's like one of the things that really stands out is just the quality of the lettering. <laughs> but the stories, of course, are, are, are very compelling and terrifying. Really. Oh, yeah. I've sometimes shown that book to friends and just recommended they pick one story and start reading and then I sit next to them on the couch waiting for them to scream. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Father Kyle, what's your experience with uh, webcomics been? Have you you found any that you've enjoyed? No, my experience with webcomics has generally at this point been sort of the digital versions of the 
the you know main two Marvel and DC. I actually enjoy having comics in that format primarily because of the fact that um, that you mentioned earlier, and that's the cost issue. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you can find that stuff for a smaller cost than you would pay for the paper versions of it. And certainly, as we talked about before, the Marvel Unlimited, you know, for $70 a year or something, you get unlimited access to every single thing that Marvel wants to put up, which lets you read a whole lot more than you're ever going to read otherwise. Yep. Plus, you don't face the problem that I face, and that is that my house has become cluttered with comic books, and my wife hates me because of it. Wait, I don't understand how that's a problem. <laughs> well, it's a problem for my wife. It's not a problem for me. <laughs> but Speaking as someone who helped you move from yeah. your last house, it definitely can become a problem. <laughs> yeah, when you have to move, it becomes a big problem. Yeah. So, yeah, but that's that's been my general experience with comics that are on the web is that digital version stuff. And I, I think there's a lot to be said for it. Took a while to get over the hump of not having paper in my hands. Mm-hmm. I'm a paper guy. But once I got there, it's been good. Well, well, a lot of the webcomic artists I read do offer paper collections of their stories, um, which I like buying sometimes after the fact, once I know I like them, because at that point, it's a chance to give them my money, you know, which... Mm-hmm. Once I've been invested in the story, I really do want to do because some of these artists have managed to make it their careers or even when they aren't, you know, making money as part of what allows them to spend their leisure on it. So I like that a lot of the way that web comics have worked is to allow artists to produce this work independently and to allow consumers to be kind of little Medici's in a patronage system, which is a nice responsibility to take on. There's one tool that I don't know if you guys are familiar with. Are you familiar with Patreon? No, no. Yeah, so Patreon is something that a lot of the webcomic artists I use, I read, use, which is a, basically it's a website that allows it to be easy for people to subsidize your work. So you can just pledge a certain amount of money per month to an artist you like. And sometimes that means that as, you know, they go up and up, it's almost like a perennial Kickstarter, right? So once they have $300 a month, they'll publish four days a week instead of three days a week. And once... They have $5,000 a month. This could be their full-time job and something else will happen. But it's great in terms of allowing people, you know, to really care for and reward the artists who are doing something for them and to do it directly and personally. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's interesting how the phenomenon of webcomics, I think, is very similar to what's happened with other things in the arts, right? I mean, it's similar to the revolution and how music is done mm-hmm. now that you go on Bandcamp or something like that and you pay what you think you can pay or what it's worth uh, to receive a song. And, it, it, you know, it's revolutionized uh, access for creators. So you don't have to go through the gatekeepers to create something interesting if you want to make a comic. There's plenty of software that helps you to do it and uh, very easy to set up a Tumblr or something like that and to put it out there. And uh, and then there it is, and the whole world uh, can interact with it for better or for worse. It's also, from what I understand from um, listening to people talking about this in the industry, this is how people are getting into the mainstream comic industry now, which is notoriously a difficult industry to break into. I mean, you really you have to have relationships with people to, to, to get in. Uh, but if you want to show somebody a portfolio 
the easiest way to do it is to point them to your webcomic. And since comics is a business like anything else, if you can show, hey, I've got, you know, 5,000 people who are reading this every every time it comes out, they're going to, you know, they're going to take notice to that. But I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the couple of the ones that I'd taken a look at. First of all, one of the ones that, Leah, that you'd recommended, which was Strong Female Protagonist. Love that one. Which... <laughs> Just has the best name, first of all, for uh, for it any kind of. It sounds right up your alley. It does. It does. Yeah, <laughs> I'm 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 the uh, the usually the female led books are the ones that I'm I'm recommending. It was interesting. So I've I've read the first two chapters of it, and I'm looking forward to reading some more of what's what's there. And having just come off of watching Jessica Jones and having mm-hmm. read some of the Jessica Jones story. Um, there's a little bit of symmetry there in that this is this is a character who she was a superhero, decided she didn't want to be a superhero anymore, and now she's like a college student who oh. just happens to be able to like break bones with her fingers, you know, <laughs> and do those kinds of things, and she keeps sort of being sucked back into heroism, uh, despite you know, trying to, to just be quote unquote, be normal. There's a great scene in, in one of the ones that I read where she's walking with her friends and they all decide, you know, sort of spur of the moment college student thing to do. They all decide they're going to get tattoos together. And they're like, this is great. We're going to go get tattoos. And she's like, okay, you guys have fun. I can't go. And they're like, no, really, you should do it. It'll be great. And she's like, no, you don't understand. My skin is invincible. I can't get a tattoo. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And then another one that I looked at is by, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to say her name right, but it's Jessie Sharon, S-H-E-R-O-N. She's uh, somebody that I that I ran into through our Twitter feed. She follows us on Twitter. Um, but she has several uh, comics up, including one called The Evil Queen, which was sort of a fairy tale, a kind of inverted fairy tale. It was like about this princess who's a beautiful princess and then she becomes a queen and then she becomes this evil queen who's like after stealing the beauty of another princess and then like somewhere along the line she goes what in the heck am i doing like why is this what i'm after i i assume she does her own colors um such a lovely use of color and um really a beautiful kind of fairy tale format she has another one that's ongoing right now that's about a mermaid and uh, we're only a little ways into this, into that one. But this is, here's one of the things that I find a little bit frustrating with web comics, mm-hmm. um, th- th- as I've seen them thus far. You tend to get, if it's an ongoing story, like if it's not like a short, you know, thing, if it's an ongoing story, you tend to get a very small portion at a time. So you might get a page rather than, you know, like if you're, if you're following a monthly comic, and let's say, you know, every every story they, they have somewhere between five and six issues that they put into a into a trade. So every story is going to have that arc of five or six issues. Mm-hmm. You're getting a fifth of that story every every time you plunk down your money. And that can be frustrating. I find that difficult. I've, I've actually moved a lot more towards trades um, because I can't remember from month to month what happened in the you know issue yeah. prior. Uh-huh. Um, but this is like, take that to the next extreme. Sometimes you might only get a panel. <laughs> <laughs> While I love going back and reading through ones that are already basically done, 
I don't know how you follow them from week to week or month to month or, you know, then somebody has to take a break for six months or whatever it is and you're like mid, you know, she was about to kick him and then, you know, what happened. So, I don't, does that frustrate you to... It doesn't come up that often for me because most of the web comics I follow are done by artists who have kind of gotten to start making this their main career. So commit to an update schedule and stick to it. And so I can kind of trust that Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I can go to Gunner Creek Court and read the next page and it's there and enough happens over the course of a week that it's not very frustrating. There have been um, web comics I followed where the story becomes so meandering that it doesn't work at that pace because not enough is happening kind of in each essentially issue. There aren't enough small arcs going on. But that tends to be more of a storytelling problem than an update schedule problem for me. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the same issue uh, with comic strips. I mean, mo- the, and I think it's why a lot of comic strips and web comics also have been sort of city self-contained kind of uh, gags or, or, or uh, you know, a self-contained sort of one-page story. I'd also say one difference is that it's kind of easier to keep up with even sporadic updates when I'm storing some of the memory I have of the story in all my friends' brains versus when I'm reading it myself. You know, when there's a callback to something a while ago and I'm discussing it with friends either in person or on Facebook, one of us will realize what it's a callback to and go, oh, guys, like, this is referencing this back mm-hmm. here. And then we'll go, oh, my goodness, you know, how subtle and clever. I, I talked a bit about this when I recommended uh, Adrian Tomine's, the, uh, his graphic novel, Killing and Dying. And the first story in there is called Hortus Sculpture. And I talked about it on the one week of the show. But it, it's written like a comic strip, or, or, or and it's, it's but like sort of page by page. And I remember as I was reading, thinking about this presents like an interesting challenge for, for writing because it's sort of like writing uh, like a poem in form where, you know, where, where, where you know that uh, you, you need to stop, you know, at this number of syllables or, or mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the line, you know, so it, it, it makes it the process of storytelling much different. And so like now that you have like, new formats for 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 storytelling through web comics the way uh comic book creators tell stories it's been molded by that reading a story changes when you're reading it online as opposed to in a newspaper or in a in a comic book father matt do you do you think there's been any sort of effect as far as content like is are there different kinds of things that can be done in content in a webcomic than has been traditionally done in, you know, traditionally published comics? And have has there been any influence, you think? Uh, oh, I, I'd say absolutely. Because it, it, it's so easy to just sort of start your own thing online. You know, it's sort of put everything, you know, you, you cut out the middleman, as you were saying earlier. So, like, these, the, you know, theology nerd uh, <laughs> web comics would I mean you would never see that in the Inquirer mm-hmm. you know you know the existentialist comics right you know, existential comics was one I was Love thinking those. of yeah this was my thought with this was because my initial thought was you know oh web comics well they they, they have 
edgier content and so that makes the whole you know but i don't think that's really it because i mean maybe at some level you know there's edgy content and and the 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 big publishers pick a little bit of that up but i mean honestly you know you can throw around f bombs and <laughs> in uh, print comics at this point and you can do things that that push the envelope but what you still can't do i think is what something like existential comics does which is to reference something really specific and really like cerebral i'd agree it's that you can really appeal to a narrower niche where there are enough people to support your art but you'd never find them all easily or quickly enough for a mainstream publisher to take you up on it. And I think that's what distinguishes the web much more than kind of the absence of content controls. You know, racier, edgy comics have been around since the beginning. Uh, that co-creator of Superman, Joe Schuster, I know, wrote pornographic comics, you know, <laughs> outside of his Superman cartooning. So there's nothing new about that. Um, and there certainly are web comics that are inappropriate in that way too. But what's unusual would really be that there'd be a pornographic nerdy one, or who knows, right? But <laughs> I'm sure the issues have gotten stranger. <laughs> one that's only like French structural literary critique and nudity or something. <laughs> well, I mean, well, the internet allows you to do this. I mean, look at this podcast. You yeah, know, God in comics, you know, three priests uh, and, and their friends sitting around talking about comics. Uh, you know, we, we probably want to get picked up by, uh, you know, uh, Morris Hill Radio or, 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 or whatever. But but the Internet allows us to do this sort of very uh, specific niche demographic kind of stuff. Leah, has your... Well, first of all, let me ask you this. Did you read comics or did you read web comics before your conversion? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and graphic novels was a lot of what I was looking at. Things like Marjane's Trappies Persepolis. Um, oh, yeah. So a lot of a lot of memoir, actually, um, was where I kind of started with these. Um, but kind of whole books where I could read the whole thing through at once um, was a lot of my first experiences with storytelling art. And then kind of going from there more into web comics. So what I'm curious about then, since this is something that kind of spans that period in your life, has your your faith as a Catholic had any effect on how you read web comics, what you think of comics or anything like that? Well, I think sometimes it's caused me to be touched differently by some stories. So I read Boxers and Saints, which is two linked graphic novels set during the Boxer Rebellion in China. One of one of the boys who's fighting, both of Chinese protagonists, one a young boy who's fighting against kind of the, uh, the colonial forces, and then one of a girl who converts to Christianity. And parts of that story, it's an exquisite story, just touched me much more deeply about her conversion and what the stakes were for her than it would have before. And I was just sitting in my living room crying while I read <laughs> The graphic novel, but it was amazing. So I think it's something that I read the stories and the characters' choices with different expectations of what they should choose or what is tragic about a tough choice. You know, you mentioned comparing Jessica Jones to strong female protagonist. I think it's an interesting comparison because Jessica Jones is a superheroine who steps back from hero work because it's too dangerous to her. Um, for a while, she has to take a break because the trauma she's endured is too much. 
and she doesn't feel safe taking on that work. But in Strong Female Protagonist, that's not why Allison steps back from being Mega Girl. If she's invulnerable, she's been invulnerable the whole time. Nothing terrible has happened to her. It's because she just has a lot of doubt that the most important problems in the world are ones she can solve by punching. And she wants to be a hero. Um, she still does. And she doesn't even need most of the time to put herself at risk to do it. But she's profoundly occupied by the question of how to do good in the world and what to do essentially with the problem that there aren't enough evil robots in the world that you can solve most of your problems by punching things out of commission, right? You can't punch your way. She wouldn't put it this way, but you can't punch your way out of original sin, right? Um, <laughs> and that's been kind of interesting to read as a Catholic, that story particularly, because you know she realized the problem is that she doesn't have enough enemies. There are just people. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what's made that story so compelling. Yeah, this you know here's this is the other thing that I've been thinking about with this. Um, I always go back to the the Lewis quote about we don't need more Christian writers; we need more writers who are Christians. And the idea that Christians, rather than making quote unquote Christian art, would do well to make really good art that is influenced by who they are. You know, my forays. I don't know about the rest of you. My forays into Christian comics, quote unquote. And by the way, my job on the podcast is to say the things that generate letters. So um, last last time I criticized um, uh, uh, the passion, Mel Gibson's The Passion. So that, you know, oh, wow. uh, you got a lot of letters about that. Uh, I got some 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 looks. Um, so <laughs> not as many as I got from people on Facebook for defending love, actually. But that's a whole different. Oh, that's that's completely out of line. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. You can tell me there's a man that calls cats people who defend love actually. Uh, well, that's, you know, that's a whole different conversation. Um, <laughs> but no, but my, my point being, like, my experience with Christ, quote-unquote Christian comics has been that they've been of the variety that I would never feel comfortable sharing with with other people, especially people who aren't Christians, like they tend to be like very heavy handed, very like, you know, pictures of like, you know, Jesus weeping over a girl deciding whether or not to go to an R rated movie or something like that. Very and chick tracks. Yeah. Well, the chick tracks yeah. is obviously the, the worst example. We'll have to put a link up to chick tracks because they're so bad that they're, they're almost good by being so bad. Like they're just awful, you know, like the one, my favorite chick tract is the one about, that's aimed at Catholics and it's, uh, it's, it, it mocks the Eucharist and it's called the death cookie. That's and then... <laughs> also my favorite is anti-Catholic screeds. Yes. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, um, I remember reading those when I was a kid and being like, wow, the Masons are really bad. <laughs> that's right. That is the biggest threat to America today is, yes. is the Masons. But anyway, you know, like, I don't know, maybe there are web comics by Christians that I don't know of, but I would love to see, because this is a format where they could could really explore faith in a different sort of way, and I don't think that they would be able to get away with it as much if they are writing for Marvel or DC or something like that, but you could you could envision a really interesting, really sophisticated web comic where somebody is exploring their faith from a place of faith but that it's not, you know, it's not just a um, evangelistic tool. It's like yeah. an interesting piece of art. 
Though I also think it's interesting just to tell stories that are stories about Christian characters where their faith isn't a big driver of the plot, but it is present. Right. Because one thing I assumed growing up, and this is more in the realm of TV than of comics, but I assumed all characters I saw on TV were also, also atheists like me. Because there weren't scenes where they were at church or praying or anything, in the same way there aren't scenes of them using the restroom. So those things that were kind of... I assume Christian viewers assumed everyone was Christian and it was just in the background of their lives. But it was invisible enough that I just assumed they weren't. And it's interesting just when you think about when you tell a story that if you have a Christian character, you know, they'll meet someone after church and it won't be that there's then a long discussion of the homily they heard and what we can learn from it. Um, (laughs) But that, you know, those things will organically occur in the same way that a high schooler will meet someone after class. Mm -hmm. I've always assumed that everyone on TV is a Zoroastrian. I don't know about you guys, but that's just been (laughs) what's in my head. Well, so this has been a great discussion, and uh, as always, there's there's more that could be said. Uh, I hope that you all out there in Internet land will join in for this. Tell us what you think, uh, and the easy way to do that is through social media. You can check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash godandcomics, or you can tweet at us. We are at godandcomics on Twitter. Um, you can also, uh, because we threw out a lot of different things in this discussion, check out our website, godandcomics.com. We'll have a show page up there, and they'll, they'll, there will be lots of links to lots of cool content, including some of the web comics that we talked about today. But uh, for now, we're going to move into our final segment, which is this or that. This or that. This or that. Come on, everybody, let's this or that. Batman or Iron Man? This or that. Spider-Man or Superman? This or that. Boxes or briefs? This or that. DVD or VHS? This or that. Dungeons or Dragons? This and that. Moses or Elijah? This or that. This or that. This or that. Come on, everybody, let's this or that. Huh? Okay, so, so Leah, you, you, you want to join us for this or that? You think I'm you... in. Okay, fantastic. So uh, the way this works is um, uh, one of us writes these out ahead of time so this this time around around it's father matt and the basic idea of course is uh he'll go to each one of us and present us with an either or and your response does not have to have any logic to it whatsoever just whatever you know whatever um whatever the lord puts on your heart in that moment (laughs) it's what you're what you are welcome to say um so father matt why don't you take it away so m- most of these are, are pretty ridiculous, Leah, but I- I'm, I'm going to start with you and give you a, a heady and substantial one. Since you mentioned your, your love for uh, portal stories and fantasies, uh, I- I- I'm taking it that you may have read at least something by, by these two authors. So H.P. Lovecraft or George MacDonald? George MacDonald. H.P. Lovecraft is fundamentally about a horror lurking at the heart of the world. And I think it can be interesting to tell horror stories in that vein. But I do think that kind of reading too many of them or without an eye to the fundamental falseness of that idea, you know, undoes what I think it's Chesterton said, that children need fairy tales to know monsters can be slain. Yeah. And and, and George MacDonald, if, if our listeners don't uh, haven't read him, you should. 
because he has the opposite effect, right? He baptized Lewis's imagination. And I recommend <laughs> The Light Princess by his, of yes, his works. an excellent piece by, by George MacDonald. This, this okay, is already so... the most substantive this or that we have ever had, ever. Yeah, just, I, I just want to point that out. <laughs> question. Well, it, 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 it's, it's, it's getting better. Right. So, um, so the next one's for you, Father Jonathan. And it's, uh, it's St. Basil. Or basketball legend Larry Bird. Oh, that is a difficult choice. Um, I do love uh, "On the Holy Spirit" by Saint Basil, but I also love the sweet three-point shots that were made by Larry Bird. Uh, but I think ultimately I'm going to uh, have to go with Saint Basil. Um, I don't really know what Larry Bird's um, faith commitments are like. But I imagine that St. Basil's <laughs> prayers will uh, uh, be more efficacious on my behalf. Um, so, uh, <laughs> uh, that may be. Although, if the question is who's going to win in a basketball game between those two, it may very well be Larry Bird. Well, you don't know what kind of game St. Yeah. Basil was. You don't. <laughs> that's, well, that's true. That's true. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so the next one is for you, uh, Father Kyle. Um, and we already know um, Father Jonathan's feelings about this, but um, I'm wondering yours. So, love actually <laughs> or eating out of the garbage? <laughs> I have to say I've not seen love actually, actually. So, um, that's a... A tough one, but so eating out of the garbage. I'll go with eating out of the garbage. <laughs> In all fairness, okay. though, that's not a fair comparison because Father Kyle loves to eat out of the garbage. So. I do. I am a. Uh, I am a. What, what is that called? The uh, dumpster diver. Yeah, dumpster diver. But there's a kind of person who eats out of the trash. Now it's a kind of atarian that uh, a frugitarian. That's a what frugitarian. it is. Frugitarian. Okay. Well, I have friends that, that that do the dumpster diving thing, and they, they find some pretty good stuff. Do they eat yeah. it, or do they just find like couches? Yeah, they, they, they get like they get like bread and everything, and like all kinds of stuff that the supermarket throws out. And then they they're like, "Do you want this?" It's like, "Sure." It's like I, I got it out of the garbage. <laughs> I, think, I think it's really the perfect comparison because dumpster diving is about recovering what we've foolishly thrown away. And love actually is gorging ourselves on what is trash. Oh. Oh. Uh, C.S. Lewis no, would disagree. We should have Leo on every time. She's, <laughs> like, she's very astute. It's fine. Bring uh, it on, okay. haters. Bring it on. Bring it on. Okay, so um, the, the next one is, is, uh, is, is for you, Leah. Okay. Uh, coffee with Jesus or tea in an octopus's garden? Certainly coffee with Jesus. Uh, first of all, because I do, you know, love Christ and want to be close to him. But second of all, because I second Giles's line from Buffy the Vampire Slayer that tea is soothing and I wish to be tense. <laughs> okay. Also, I assume you don't breathe underwater. Uh, not to my knowledge. I've never given it a full empirical test. <laughs> Father Kyle, The Walking oh, Dead all right. or The Talking <laughs> Heads? Ah, The Talking Heads. 
I, I, I absolutely love the talking heads and I attempted to read the walking dead. I think I mentioned this on the last yeah. episode. I attempted to binge read the walking dead and spent, uh, about six or seven hours reading it straight through and I wanted to do harm to myself afterwards because it was so dark that uh yeah I put it away and never picked it up again maybe someday I'll finish so uh Father Jonathan Alexander Hamilton or James Burr uh Alexander Hamilton okay for for the obvious reasons that's right yeah (laughs) Father Kyle Batman Beyond or Spider-Man 2099? Ah, both very good comics. Um, I'd probably go with Batman Beyond in that mix. I I think there's, I don't know, I like that character better. There's something, some more depth to him in some ways. Mm. I think uh, Spider-Man 2099 looks cooler, though. Yeah, except for the new costume they gave him in this reboot. I don't know, I'm not digging that at all. I think they kind of screwed that up. Leah. Yes. The Star Wars prequels or Serenity? Did you say Star Wars prequels or Serenity? Yes. <laughs> That's the easiest one of these the whole round. <laughs> Definitely Serenity. Um, yeah, I can still do the whole theme song by heart among many other quotes from that. Ah, good. It's such a great story. Good. I like you again. I figured you <laughs> Despite your, your rant on love, actually, uh, I will forgive you for that. Now that you like Serenity. I have no intention of being forgiven for hating love, actually. <laughs> well, then it's too bad because I've just done it. This was a hostile forgiveness I just employed on you. I I saw a a webcomic this week. What's what's the webcomic with the duck who's like a father? (laughs) But uh, it's about a duck and he's got kids. Was this a dream you had? No, no, no. So so he's uh, he's showing uh, the the webcomic. He's he's on the couch and and he's with his his young duck son and 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 the son says. Wow, that was great! You know, they, they just finished watching the Star Wars trilogy. Like, that was awesome. Star Wars is amazing. And he turns to his father and says, "Are there any other Star Wars movies?" And he waits for a panel. And he says, "No, there's." Not. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm also on team only one Matrix movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you yeah. on that one. I'm with you on that one. Yeah. So where are we? We're we're back to we're back to Father Jonathan. I don't know. You're kind of doing it randomly, so yeah, yeah we're just doing it as the spirit gives utterance. Yeah. Carrying them perfectly to the respondents. Yeah, sure. Um, so <laughs> the Matrix One, the first Matrix movie, or a '57 Chevy. You're just pulling these out of the <laughs> air. <laughs> <laughs> the first Matrix movie or a '57 Chevy. Leah, this is a, a little theme we have going where we compare things to a 57 Chevy. Uh, usually just about every time there's at least one comparison. Most of the time, the other thing gets chosen. I think only twice have we uh, actually selected the 57 Chevy. Once was very unfortunate. Uh, Father Kyle selected the 57 Chevy over B. Arthur, um, which I thought was very sad because B. Arthur's hilarious. 
Um, and then there was another one. What was the other one? You guys I remember? Can't remember? It was really it was in the last episode. Yeah, it wasn't the last episode. It must yeah. have been amazing. I, I <laughs> oh, I I chose to fifty-seven Chevy over early Madonna. Ah, that's right. Yes. Uh, okay. Um, so are you going to make it a three-peat for the fifty-seven Chevy today? So I I I am um, I I am considering it mostly for comedic value. Um, <laughs> But I think in the end, I have to go with The Matrix. Matrix was the first movie. So I saw The Matrix in the theater when I was 19. And uh, it was the first movie that I ever went to twice in the theater. And I went in. Now, you know, of course, it's like a cultural touchstone now. And people know what's going on with it. But when when that movie first came out, there was hardly any advertising for it. It was just like... All the only advertising there was was, ooh, big sci-fi, Keanu Reeves, you know, and that was it. And so I had no idea what I was walking into at all. Had no idea that it was going to play with reality in the way that it did. And I walked out of that theater going, is this real? Are you real? I'm like, you know, (laughs) touching people on the street. Like, are you real? Um, So that movie was amazing for its time. And... um, so I, I will go with that. However, if I could watch that film while sitting in a 57 Chevy, that obviously would be the best. This one's for Father Kyle. Donald Trump or Darth Vader? Darth Vader by a long shot. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys discovered yet? I saw um, Elizabeth Brunig tweeted this earlier today. If you go to www.jebbush.com, it will take you to donaldtrump.com. Yeah, sneaky <laughs> yeah. domain buying there. That, that, is, that is pretty devious. However, okay. dontrump.com is available for $5,000 if any of you wants to buy it and point it to... God in Comics. God in Comics. Or, go. like, point it to the Amazon page for uh, for your book, Leah. That would be kind of uh-huh. cool. Yep. <laughs> we could get a Kickstarter campaign going for that. There we go. <laughs> And I'll give the final one to, to Leah. Jessica Jones or Jessica Rabbit? <laughs> Jessica Jones. Uh, that, that show was great. Um, and I've got to say, it was so interesting to watch because it was so clearly a story written by a woman where it takes a lot of the fears that women particularly have about stalking and harassment. Mm. And make a super villain out of them, you know, and it was, this is perhaps a slightly down note to end up, but it was amazing watching that story and seeing the precautions people are taking in a superhero movie, be the ones that women are forced to take in real life. Hmm. Hmm. We're going to, um, we're big fans of the, the comic here and we're actually our next episode, which is going to be in the first week of January. We're going to talk about the show and, uh, Emily uh, Zanotti is going to join us to to do that. I don't know if you um, know oh, yeah. her, but um, so there we go. There we go. Well, thank you, Father Matt, um, for uh, an inspiring round of This or That. And uh, thank you, Leah Labresco, for being our guest. Um, I don't know if you want to plug anything in particular at the end here. or. Um... Well, thanks for having me on. And for folks who are just hearing me for the first time, Uh, My book, Arriving at Amen, you can find on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. And it's a story of how after my conversion, intellectually, I had to have a conversion of heart and learn how to pray as a Catholic, relying a lot 
on the kind of fantasy stories, weird bits of math, ballroom dance, any source of beauty I had to use as a lens on the beauty of the Catholic Church. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I hope people will, will buy that. It makes the perfect stocking stuffer. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's true or not, but you should buy it anyway. You should buy it anyway. That's going to do it for today. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed and had a good time listening today. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes and download uh, previous episodes. And while you're there on iTunes, if you wouldn't mind giving God and Comics a rating and a review, we would be very grateful. It helps other people to find the show. Our theme music, which uh, hopefully you are banging your head to right this minute, is by Father Paul Wheatley. Until next time, I'm Father Jonathan Michikin. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. I'm Father Matthew Kronberg. And we'll see you next time. Take care.